Welcome to Around the ACL. Michelle Thompson here with Anthony Ione and Trey Ryder coming off a packed, really, really exciting weekend <laughs> in so many ways. Um, there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes, management-wise, to make this weekend happen and organization and took a huge team coming together. And I think it was a huge success. Um, I loved the rookie showcase. I learned so much about the rookies comparative to previous seasons. We had our media day um, so we can get all kinds of cool things for our broadcast to make them more exciting. And of course, we had our first open of the season um, all happened in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Um, fun to see how many people showed up. I had a good time doing the interviews that I did. Um, it feels like everyone's getting a lot better, more comfortable with these kinds of things, which is great. Um, I had a blast. How about you, Trey? Yeah, yeah, I thought, you know, we'll touch on most of all that that you just said, but I guess the one that maybe we probably won't talk too much about is uh, Media Day. And that was like the first opportunity. I mean, 180 pros went through three stations of, of media stuff to capture content. And then, you know, 20 of the some of the top premier players – uh, also went through an additional three stations that um, really showcased some really cool atmospheres. We got some good video of them. We got some incredible interviews. I mean, we had some great stories. I learned some great stories about some pros that I had no idea. I mean, it was, um, you know, Jack was down on the floor, like screaming with pros, like into the LEDs. Like it was like incredible. So, um, I just can't, I can't get over how, how incredible successful it was. And we had so much going on we'll get into all that, but like that media day on Sunday was exhausting, but I thought it was a really, really cool opportunity and get to give, um, you know, going to elevate, uh, the, the pros in a really big way. Anthony, what'd you think? Oh man, the whole weekend was was juicy. Um, it was really, really good for for me, you know, as an analyst coming in because uh, the rookie showcase was huge. You know, being able to get a good good look at the new talent coming into the league. Um, you know, from a skills perspective, what type of game do they have? Personalities. We already got a good feel of the personalities we're going to have in the rookie uh, rookie field, and we'll talk a little bit about that later when we get into the rookies. And then also being able to see the new partnerships for the 2024 season. And as we know, there's a lot of shuffle uh, going on. I mean, all the way from the top, you know, where you've got Tony Smith and Mark Richards, you know, two of the top players in the league teaming up, you know, throughout the division all the way down, you know, some of the young kids getting together, you know, two 13, 14 year olds smacking people uh, in the open. It's going to be really good to see the young uh, and the youth uh, play out all the way to, you know, some of the veterans switching it up, you know, like an Adam Hisner out there. You know, you got Trey Birchfield out there, a new partnership. Um, you know, Tanner Halbert, Jacob Trzinski, the list goes on. And we'll talk a little bit about that more later. But that was that was really, really good to see firsthand as well. Absolutely. We're going to start off with the open. And uh, first of all, singles, uh, you know, Alan Rawls, I joked like, or, so do we like, uh, I think it was, I can't, I can't remember. Anyway, somebody posted all the finalists and nobody picked Alan Rawls <laughs> to win. Dude, no, why do so we keep looking for... over this? I'm done looking over this guy. I will not look over him anymore. Are we done? Not one person picked him out of like all the comments. Like what is going on with Alan Rawls? If we did a power ranking, would he be in your top 10? <laughs> yes, he would. I'm not sleeping on him anymore. No more. 
Alan Rawls. He just does it. He gets it done. He knows how to win. He knows how to win. It it doesn't make any sense though. Let's be real. I know. It doesn't make any sense, but it does. I. <laughs> yeah, I mean, third open, um, third open singles win. Just uh, you know, an incredible player, and you know, in teams he just got traded. Like the high roller <laughs> said, "See ya." Like, <laughs> don't need this guy. I mean, just incredible that the high rollers trade him away, and he's on the freeze now. Now you got. We just talked about the freeze having this loaded team, and they just added Alan Rawls like that. It doesn't. It's just <laughs> ridiculous. But um, from a singles perspective, I thought it was a perfect first open, and the reason for that is we got to see some of the best names in the world continue to showcase that they're the best in the world. Right there at the end, we had uh, we we had Alan Rawls. We had Tony Smith. We had Matt Guy. I mean, we had Ryan Windsor, right? All of these big veterans, they make the final eight. Like, they're just the best of the best when it comes to talent um, that, that you know, the, the Pro Division has to offer. Add on top of that, you got glimpses of how special yes. some of these rookies are going to be. Jeremiah Ellis, from the moment he walked in the, in, in the room – you could tell he had confidence and he was ready to ready to deliver. He played exceptionally well. He goes into a battle with Jordan Power, right? I mean, and Power gets him the first game, but Ellis comes back and gets him the second game. I thought we got to see a really high-level showcase of that talent. Ryan Trader, right? He kind of made a statement that said, hey, everybody's been talking about Sammy Soto. Everybody's been talking about Braden Wilson, right? Yes. People forget that Trader was the only one in that USA Cornhole Juniors Championship to make make both the singles and the doubles finals. So, um, you know, Ryan Trader is going to be a name and a player that's going to hang around for a long time and be really special. So I think it's, you know, it was really cool to see at least on the single side at first, all of those top players um, playing at a high level where we sprinkled in some of these rookies and gave them a good gauge in their first, in their first open, because it was an absolutely stacked field across the board. Absolutely. Anthony, give us your thoughts. Yeah, I think, I think with Alan Rawls, the thing that has us so confused is uh, one, we know the guy isn't out hustling as much as everybody else. And he will tell you straight up, you know, I'm not grinding at this game. Uh, now, he'll tell you he's upped his game this year. He's practicing a little bit more. Uh, but it was unbelievable he was able to come out last season and do what he did. And then just his bag flight throws you off. You know, it's in this plane that no one else's bag is in. But I think why he's successful is, one, he's got a dangerous airmail. I think it's a really underrated airmail. And he has the ability to position bags. Uh, if you want a bag here, he puts it there. If he needs a bag there, he puts it there. So he's not running. He has the ability to be better there than in, and I think that's what makes him super successful. Um, it was really good to see Ryan Wiedenfield come out and win a bracket. I mean, you know, we all wanted him, expected him to come out last season and be one of the players we talked about in the top 10. Didn't work out that way for him. I think that he's overly aggressive, um, and I think that maybe as he 
you know, the IQ builds and he matures, he'll start being a little bit more conservative, scaling that back a little bit. And he's kind of got this just, uh, you know, nonchalant kind of attitude to him. But I think once he gets that kind of need to win attitude and, and scales it back a little bit, he's going to be dangerous. I love seeing him make that deep run. Um, Jeremiah Ellis, you know, uh, just talking to some people around uh, the building that knew him a little bit more. It sounds like he's a guy that just shows up to throw bags. He's not looking at brackets to see who he's going to play. He's not so concerned with conditions and this and that. He's just going to show up and, you know, I'm here to throw bags. You know, like he doesn't care about all the other stuff, you know, like he's just there to grind. So I love having uh, that type of uh, a personality in person in the field. And then having an amateur like Aiden Brown in a packed field, uh, come out and show us there's still awesome talent out there that isn't yet pros. So, I mean, even as, as much as the pro division is improving in talent, we're seeing the same thing happen at the amateur level. Um, yeah. So Tony Smith coming into this one, man. I mean, if you watched him through bracket play um, and you watched him and, and we should note, it was Blaine Rozier that knocked him down to the losers bracket. This dude, we've been talking about him as a potential breakout. He knocks Tony Smith down to the losers bracket. Didn't see it coming because Tony Smith was fire throwing pro snipers. Uh, for those that don't know, moving over to Team Lucky um, with an even faster model bag. So we've seen him go to combats, which is the most grittiest bag that's basically out there. Kind of move up to the uh, the contrabands with a little bit more speed. Now up to a pro sniper with even more speed. But the thing that Tony Smith has is he still has all of that that technique and that skill to be able to roll and cut and do stuff with a fast bag. And that's why I think he's going to be so dangerous. So coming into the final against Alan Rawls, I was like, this dude does not stand a chance. And Tony Smith came out strong. I want to say he went up like, I don't know, 9 10-0, 11-0. Alan kind of weathered the storm, stayed in it. And then he slowly picked his way back and struck at the end and made it happen. So that finals match was actually really, really good. If you have a chance to go back and watch it, uh, you'll see Alan Rawls really stick around and do work against the MVP, the best in the world. He absolutely did. Now with doubles, unfortunately, I wasn't able to catch most of the end of it due to uh, draft preparation. But Trey, you were there, and, and were you there for a while during doubles? Can you kind of give yeah, us? Yeah, I bounced back and forth a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, it, it was you know on on. Well, first of all, you know Logan Chamberlain, Justin Burton Jr. just continue what Killers. they started last year. I mean, they're just they they're just really good. <laughs> I mean, there's no other way to put it. One of the few teams stay together. I think Wally dropped the stat less than 15% of teams, doubles teams stayed together. So they're one yeah. of that small percentage that yep. did. I mean, as far as returning teams, I mean, all of them, I mean, the returning teams, it's a trio, right? I mean, you got to think it's Eddie and Caleb, Justin Burton Jr., Logan Chamberlain, and then Hamilton Cano. Like are those, would you say the three big main features of, of the teams that stayed together. Everybody else is kind of mixed. A lot of Texas uh, in there. A lot of Texas yeah. in there. <laughs> Maybe a Rawls Kingsbury in that list who continue That's to true. get better. Rawls Kingsbury. That's true. Yeah. Rawls Kingsbury up there as well. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. All Texas in one. <laughs> Unless Fisher Hamilton moved to Texas for Mish. And then. Yeah. Florida, you know. But it's Florida, right? Because then you've got Alan Rawls is Florida. Kingsbury, yep. Kingsbury, Florida too. Correct, correct. Yes, yes. yeah, yeah. Even if yes, so if you add in them, yeah, it's literally all just those Texas four teams are all Texas and Florida, which is mm -hmm. crazy, crazy to it's think. Under the water. Um, but yeah, you know, incredible performance, and they just continue to to do what they do. They, they're such, 
Burton Jr. and Chamberlain are such yin and yang. Like, it's so funny to watch them because you have Chamberlain, who's animated and into it, and then Burton Jr. on the outside is just kind of like, okay. Nada. He's just hanging out. Nothing. And I had a chance (laughs) to interview Burton Jr. that uh, on Sunday on Media Day, and he's like, I think what people don't realize is me and Logan are very similar in our heads. In so our I was head. like, oh, so he just projects it and you don't? And he's like, yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. It's like he's saying all the things that, like, I'm thinking. So, I mean, so, so okay. they, they do have some similarity there. Now, one thing that I was very interested and happy to see was how good, uh, you know, Jackson Gore getting back to close to where his old self was. I yes. mean, if he's playing close to back to that level – him and Sammy Soto are going to be nasty. I mean, that is going to be a team that nobody's going to want to play. Now, I did see Gore in an arm brace or hand brace. So he's having some issues with his hand and wrist when he plays for long periods of time. I don't know if that fatigue is what set in later into the match. Just something that I'm paying attention to, right? Because I don't like seeing a young kid, 15 years old, in an arm brace. You know, it just... Just something I'm paying attention to. If that is not an is that that's a non-factor as we get into the pro season, Gore and and Soto are going to be tough. Now, I know all eyes were on Mark Richards and Tony Smith, and they didn't win the whole thing. Am I disappointed by that? Eh, not really. Uh, I've said time and time again, super teams never start well ever. They never start well, okay? Look at any team that's your favorite, that's the favorite super team of all time. They never play well at the beginning. Now, when they get to the point where they're playing at a high level, then you better watch out. I don't like blaming bags too much. I will say that they were throwing they were throwing Celtics for part of the day, like in I don't know in what universe that Tony Smith and Mark Richards are going to be throwing Celtics <laughs> this season. But, um, you know, uh, more really what I'm getting at is their bags were playing really fast. They were, you know, I don't think they were in agreement. A couple times I watched Tony kind of like he'd throw a bag and it was like, that whoa. wasn't, whoa, <laughs> like that wasn't supposed to happen. She gone. <laughs> yeah. So I think there's still, they got some stuff to work through and they got to learn how to play together. Like even I was talking to Tony a little bit, I was like, you know, I went to him and I said bags and I was like, I'm so used to work playing with Jacob. And I'm like, what do you want to throw? And Jacob's like, well, this and this, because of this and this, I want to throw this bag. And then if we need to change, we'll do this. And I went up to ask Mark and Mark's like, I don't care. What do you want to throw? Like, <laughs> and it was like, well, what do you want to throw? And he's like, I don't really care. Like stuff like that. They got to learn how to communicate as a team and it'll take some time, right? That's not going to happen overnight. And so um, if anybody's looking for a panic button on Richards and Smith that they didn't win the first event that they were together, I think you're looking for an excuse to get worked up. Um, I think they're going to be a really, really good team. The thing that you wanted to avoid was a bad showing, and they avoided that, right? They were solid. No, they didn't win the whole thing, but there was no reason to get to get upset of how they finished overall. Um, going to be an exciting team to watch, and uh, you know the, the young guns continue to play well. Anthony, thoughts from you? Yeah, just just a quick overall summary so we can kind of digest this whole thing. Four brackets, right? Out of bracket A, you had Allen Rawls and Chris Kingsbury go up against. Shermerhorn and Power in the final. Not not you're not not Joe Neistead and Jordan Power, but 
Jeremy Shermerhorn and Jordan Power. Jeremy Shermerhorn continues to show that he is an unbelievable doubles partner. He outplays himself in doubles than in singles. It kind of reminds me of like an old school uh, Derek King, you know, where he's just really, really good in doubles. Uh, one of my favorite moments in that one was they're fighting for the king seat match. Jordan Power gives up a 10 spot uh, to give up the lead. It's been a while since I've seen uh, a 10 spot given up at the pro level. And then Jeremy Shermhorn was stuck with a tough shot to stay alive at the end. And he looks across the boards and he says, if I miss this, this loss is on you, right? <laughs> and, and Power's like, yeah, yeah, that's on me. Uh, but that one ended up being super close. 21-17, Rawls and Kingsbury move on to the championship match. And who is it that comes out of the loser's bracket? Blaine Rozier again, who took the king seat in singles, playing with Jordan Kimbrell in doubles. But Rawls Kingsbury end up taking that one. Keep an eye out for Blaine Rozier this year. Uh, bracket B, it was Devin Harbaugh and uh, Jake Gore who went up against Check this out, Cheyenne Bubenheim and Jeremy Frazier. How much is Jeremy Frazier playing off his ass right now? This guy is playing tough. Did you get to see any of his matches, guys? I didn't. Yeah, I saw a little bit of him, and uh, he was really good in the middle part of the day. A, a little, it faded a little bit at the end, but obviously, like you know, for them to make a bracket final, I think Cheyenne's got to kind of say to the haters, you know, I, I, I picked Jeremy for a reason. Like yes. this could be a team that works out well together. Yep. So it was Harbaugh and Gore coming out of that one. Bracket C, uh, you talked about uh, Jackson Gore with the, with the wrist. He fought through that injury on his wrist, made it all the way to the finals. He dealt with whatever pain he was having. His bag looked a little bit different. You know, it wasn't as tight uh, spinning and flat, but he fought through it. Um, and they ended up taking down Jeremiah Ellis again, uh, took down a, uh, a singles bracket, making it to the king seat with Ryan Hart, which which we saw kind of break out a little bit last year, Ryan Hart. We expect some good things with him coming into the new season. And then the last bracket you mentioned, Burton Jr. and Chamberlain take down the Florida team, Hamilton and Cano. So uh, at the end of the day, and I think I think we actually stopped play, went down, did the draft, and then they went up later that evening to finish that four-man playoff, and it was uh, Burton Jr. and Chamberlain going through Harbaugh Gore and then Gore Soto to take it home. Yeah, yeah it was definitely, uh, definitely an exciting doubles day. One, one other comment is, like, I think Jeremiah we, – we, uh, we always kept talking about when we talked about Jeremiah Ellis that we weren't sure if Ryan Hart was going to be the right partner for him. But thinking about it on the flip side – Getting Jeremiah Ellis as a partner is probably going to be the best thing for Ryan Hart's career because now does he not only have an opportunity to continue to showcase his skills in singles, he's going to have an opportunity to contend in doubles in every single event that he competes in. So this could be a really special season for Ryan Hart. We could be seeing his name a lot. I totally agree. After, uh, after the Open, we also had our rookie showcase. Actually, it came first. It came on Friday. Uh, so we got to see the rookies uh, compete in different stations, deck around, push, play the block, plant a block, airmail. After all of that, Caden Allen came out on top, uh, closely followed by Sammy Soto and Logan Hall, Juwan Smith, and Colby Shearer. Uh, I saw a lot of incredible stuff. I mean, you guys had the, probably the station that would give you, I think, almost the most information, how someone deals with a block. But Decorant's important, too. Can you run bags? I saw someone like Braden Wilson struggle a little bit with the Decorant. Um, and, and I feel and I noticed that 
he was making his life a lot harder because his bags would land in front of the hole and then he had to do some cleanup. Um, and I, I just, I wonder if he's going to have kind of a Tony Smith trajectory where he realizes if I just threw a slightly faster bag, I could make my life a lot easier and not have to keep cleaning up all these things that are happening on the boards. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to watch him because we obviously know how talented Braden is. Uh, but lots of cool stuff. Uh, Trey, what'd you see over on uh, your station or at the rookie showcase in all? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I loved it. So yeah, uh, a little, maybe a little bit more detailed breakdown. So every pro went through throwing air mails with their hand over the board, throwing air mails with their hand outside of the board, placing a block, meaning laying it at different sections of the board and inside outside arm, pushing, Bags at different points on the board, inside and outside arm. A deck around where score as many points as you can. Slide that bag in as much as you can. And then Anthony and I station, which I don't know about you, Anthony. I had a blast uh, running it, which was play the block. There's going to be a block laid in the middle of the board in some variation, some location, and put the bag in the hole. Uh, can you get around it? Can you get – you want to go through it? You want to get – I mean, go over it? I mean, they're – it really left it completely up to you. How do you want to deal with it? And it was really cool for me, Anthony, to see like how people approached it. Because as we would move that bag down the board or move it up and down, you saw pros like do one of these. Like, yes. ah, like I don't know if I'm going to go around it. Or, and it, I think it perfectly mimicked what you're going to see at the pro level. There may be a level two block, a two and a half, level two and a half block where someone goes, gosh, do I want to get around this? Do I just want to stop messing around, throw an airmail? Do I want to try to roll for position? Like there was a lot of different options. So um, looking through this, I mean, the best that I saw all day, um, I feel bad for Anthony because I got to see number one, number two, and number three. I on, know. Uh, on mine. <laughs> I got to see Caden Allen, Sammy Soto, and Logan Hall. Um, you got to see Juwan Smith. Uh, I got Colby Shearer. So like I got a lot of these guys. So Anthony I know, got to – didn't get to see him, but I will say um, the biggest surprise of the day and which is why he ended up being a first round pick, which we'll talk about in a second was Logan Hall. I'll be honest. I didn't know Logan Hall. He walked up to my board. I, I said, Hey, nice to meet you. I cheated. I looked at his sheet and I was like, Hey, nice to meet you, Logan in person. Like I was pretending like I knew who he was and he, and uh, you know, he absolutely killed it. I remember scoring him. Like I kept my bag, setter was Moses Sesueta. And I remember Moses and I kept doing one of these to each other. Like he, <laughs> he had a dude? couple, he had a couple perfect score rounds where he hit four airmails and Moses and I both looked at each other like, and even halfway through it, Moses, as he's walking down to the other end comes up and he goes, what's this guy's name? And, I mean, <laughs> he killed it. And I looked at his scores and the other ones, he had what the second highest deck around in a 112, which is an 11.2. One bag behind Caden. Just one bag. One bag behind Caden Allen. I mean, just incredible. So uh, I was really impressed with a lot of these rookies. I think Logan Hall uh, obviously stole the, the show for surprises. Caden Allen and Sammy Soda didn't surprise me. Yeah, they, they were number one, number two, but you know, whatever. Colby Shearer, I told you guys to watch out for him because he was killing it in the Carolina conference. I think he made me look a little bit smart. Definitely. There. Jonathan Etheridge was another surprise for me. He had a really strong rookie showcase. Um, Pat Sem kind of did what we thought. I think the only one that else that might be like, um, you know, Jeremiah Ellis, when I look at him, he finished 15th. 
by the time he got to me at play the block, I think he was trying to try too crazy a stuff. Like, I think he was almost not playing the block like he would normally play the block. Yeah, like I could see in his delivery that he was going to be an elite player, so I almost didn't worry about it too much. The one for me, another one was Justin Dermody out of the Northwest Conference. He was unbelievable. He must have hit 75% on his airmails. I mean, he was really, really solid. Um, it looks like on the airmail station, he didn't even hit his airmails as well as he did at the play the block station, but he was one of my highest scorers on the day and was was really impressed. And what's interesting is that somebody said, uh, you know, this doesn't seem like a really good representation of a real game. It's like, you can argue with it, but look who finished the top. <laughs> it's, right, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it is a good representation, I think. Anthony, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, that was well covered. I mean, I think I would just like to talk about Caden Allen overall and how he demonstrated an all-around game. So if we kind of go through, he was number two in the field, and we're talking about a field of mid-40s, mid-40 rookies. Number two in the field in pushing through a block. That, to me, tells me his ability to clean up. Okay, if he has a good ability to clean up, how good is his ability to uh, to play a block, which would typically relate to that, but also tell you a little bit about something related to a dirty game. Number one in that. So if he has the ability to clean up, push through a block, and play the block, that tells you tells you that what type of a game he's going to have. And then let's go to the run-the-bag side of it. Number one in, in deck around. He threw a 114, which tells me he missed three bags out of 40. So he went 37 of 40 in the deck around. And then overall... Uh, he was at the top, which explains why he's constantly um, having deep runs and opens and winning brackets. He could be a top 10 guy coming into the league next year. We'll just have to keep an eye on how he does through the open playing against more pros. But Sammy Soto was right there with him. You know, killed it in deck around. Number two in play the block. Number two in overall score. Uh, you mentioned Logan Hall. I won't go through him again. But just to mention a guy that impressed me, uh, Jonathan Etheridge, just because of the way that he handled my station of play the block. Um, so like Trey was saying, you have the opportunity to pick however you want to play that block, step out, go over the top, push through it, back block, and you're getting points for all this stuff. He tried to be strategic through the first two thirds, the back third of, you know, almost 30 throws or whatever. He was like, ah, screw this. I'm going all airmail. He went 25 of 26 airmail to finish my station and just pulled out a beast of a score in that one. So he went 13 in a row, missed a bag, 12 in a row. And that's how he finished my play of the block with all airmail. That's insane. And that's like you have you have Anthony sitting there scoring you, judging you. I mean, like you have to talk about the pressure of what's happening. You know, right. I did notice that. I did. We should look at like who who scored who and see what the average score was. Like I know it'll be skewed a little bit, but I'm interested to see. Like we tried to eliminate. I mean, you and I came up with a pretty good scoring system. Dude, it actually turned out way better than I thought it would. Yeah, it, it was a really good scoring system. But like, I think like some instances, like the difference between like a two and a one, like could be like, did you set the bumper? Or did you not? Um, and then it's like. I rolled over. Did I set a bumper or did I take whole control? Like yes. it was like one of those kind of in between. So there it might be some instances in which we scored a little bit differently there. Um, but then the only other one that kind of, I was just looking at scores. I didn't have them at my station, but Juwan Smith finished fourth and he didn't really, if I'm looking at this correctly, 
he didn't really win any station, but he was just really, really consistent yes. at all of them across the board, which is, I think, something that you look for in a player. Guys, with this Juwan Smith, when you guys get a look at this guy, you're going to see something we've never seen before. Uh, you know, I said it on the show last night. This this guy's tossing pizza. Um, he is not. He's not. He's not gripping the bag. He's pitching it from underneath like he's he's tossing dough. Um, it's pretty unbelievable, and it is a beautiful bag flight. A lot of rotation, very flat. Um, I think it was. Uh, yeah, it was Wally that had a couple guys at the state at the uh, stream court, and he was like. I'll give any of you a hundred bucks who could throw a four bagger with Juwan Smith's release. <laughs> so you guys, you guys tossing pizza, trying to hit board, not even close. Um, but talking about a look at the rookies and some unique stuff. What do you guys think about this kid? Chris Roybal is going to blow your mind when you see his delivery. There are seven unique movements <laughs> before he finally decides to throw the bag. And, and it's, it's pretty unbelievable. He's a- yeah. Someone, someone in the comments was like, Chris Roybal literally takes seven seconds when he starts his delivery to when it releases. And I was like, okay, that's, you're an exact. And I counted one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He releases. That's that's not like between bags. That's like, okay, I've decided I'm going to throw like all of this. And then, I mean, just crazy. He's moving the the whole time. You know, one thing I I forgot to mention was, you know, Corey and I on the Deckeron station, we decided after a couple of throws that we were going to highlight when somebody in the Deckeron was trying to chase a bag, right? Because we thought it might be important to note that. So I mentioned Braden Wilson. Braden Wilson had to chase bags four times, or he went to chase bags four times in that 10 rounds. He had to go and collect something to get points. Uh, Caden Allen, zero. Wow. So you look that at Sammy, Sammy Soto, zero. No chasing bags. Huh. Clean board. Always had a clean board. Always kept it clean. So you look at some of that. I'm trying to think who else had high ones. Uh, Colby Shearer, three times that he chased bags. Um, let's see. You know, Hunter Claxton, four. Jamie Fincham, four. Jawan Smith, four. Um, and, and this, you know, that Jawan Smith getting 100 and four of those rounds he chased bags is really impressive. He didn't have a clean board um, like a lot of these other high, like Jonathan Etheridge clean board, uh, 110. So there was definitely a correlation between, you know, Brandon Martinez, 110 clean board um, about these chasing, like, like I said, you making your own life more difficult. <laughs> so uh, something just to look That's out incredible. for. All right. Moving on. Stat. I like it. What was that? I said, I'm glad you kept that, those stats. That's that's interesting. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I thought I think because it's a big difference in style of play. All right, let's move on to the draft. Uh, the draft I think went really well. I was really excited about uh, what it looked like, how it sounded. I thought that the flow between the four hosts went better than just having two or three um, rotating in. I loved everything about it. Shout out to Chase and Corey for all the production behind the scenes stuff. I thought that they ran it really well. And uh, shout out to Jeff, who I said, you're the glue that held us together, Jeff. <laughs> we could not Always, have, yeah. I cannot stress how much we could not have done this without you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, shout out to everybody there. But um, yeah, Trey, do you want to just kind of go through um, either, you know, who stood out to you or, or however you want to let it flow? We'll kind of just go through yeah, the draft. 
maybe we'll just go some, through some picks first, and then Anthony and I can talk about some teams. I don't know if Anthony, if that was, you know, if, if that works for you. But you know, for sure. me, I, I, I think there were no zero surprises through pick nine. Um, mm -hmm. For me, pick nine. I mean, they went Jacob Gore, Sammy Soto, Jeremiah Ellis, Caden Allen, Alex Hicks, Ryan Trader, Matt Sorrells, Braden Wilson, Jack Gore. We can argue semantics about who goes where. Um, of those nine on my mock draft, I had eight of them, and I had Trader going a little bit later. Obviously, when Ryan Trader has a really good finish, he gets bumped up. And maybe he was just valued that high that other people had him higher than me. Regardless, who those went, those top were, were, um, were better. Some interesting things that happen behind the scenes. Um, once we get into the second half of the round, that's when all the trades kind of chilled out, right? Um, yeah. Which, because they were so trade happy in the beginning. Seven, Some seven the, trades. <laughs> yeah. Some crazy stuff that happens behind the scenes. Um, Jordan Power comes up to me three hours before the draft and he goes, what are the chances Colby Shearer is available at 10? I said, Probably 60 to 70%. I don't think very many people know about Colby Shearer just yet. Okay. Where does Colby Shearer go? Nine to the <laughs> Arizona burn. As soon as that pick came across, I, my mouth went wide open and I looked right over to the Marauders and I see Jordan Power throw a piece of paper on. He was absolutely furious. That, oh, that's good stuff. I mean, he had to take a lap. He, ha he was so mad he wanted colby Shearer so bad uh they end up with austin cameron i still think is a is a great pick he'll do well logan hall if you had told me before the rookie showcase that logan hall was gonna go 12th overall to the to the cali slingers i would have asked you what you were on because that was i mean completely out of left field now i don't know if they knew logan coming into it or if they're going by the fact that he was such a dominating player in the showcase. To me, this is similar to the NFL draft. You took a combine superstar and you went all in on it. Okay. That could work out really well. That could not work out really well. Right. Because there's a difference in playing at that high level. Um, then there's, you know, some different people thrown in there that I, I took some risks on um, that didn't up there. Frank Verona ends up in there. Not a huge surprise. Vincent Frisch is there. Brady Foster. A little bit of a surprise. I'm, I'm interested to hear about Anthony's thoughts on this first round. Jordan Camba, pick number 16. I mean, there's a number of people that went after him. Ian Cripps, uh, Pat Sem, who is incredible. Jamie Fincham, um, Steve Schrader. Uh, there, there's a number of different names that came after Jordan Camba. And, and interested, Anthony, if you thought um, those were those were justified. Before, one second. Didn't Jordan Camba go 16th overall last season? Like, yes. Like yeah. Like, and I think it was a trade as well, wasn't it? I think it was. It was weird. Yeah. Anyways, go ahead, Anthony. Yeah, just to address the Jordan Cameron one. I mean, guys, this guy finished a hundred and one in singles. I know at one point Jordan Camber was at the top of the chain, and in my opinion, he's still a legend in this game. He helped. He helped grow this. He helped me become a player that I am. I used to be. Um, so yeah, that, that one definitely, uh, definitely blew my mind because, you know, behind him, you've got like a guy like Ian Cripps who finished 35th and he went picks after him. Uh, you've got guys like, you know, if you want that fast style of game, Steve Schroeder finished 40 spots ahead of him at 68. You've got uh, Jay Dotson. If you want that old school, uh, he finished 46th 
and the list goes on. Jeremiah Hector, you know, at 50. So it did surprise me, um, but obviously relationships coming into play. And when you look at who, where he was drafted, uh, it kind of makes sense. But yeah, just kind of my big picture over the whole draft, if I just lo are looking at that first round is we saw that the ability to play a dirty game, the ability to shape shots was weighted really, really high. You have 13 of the first 15 players, you know, carpet style players, guys that have a developed roll bag. Not I can roll a bag, but I have a developed roll bag and I have the ability to flip it over to the slick side and clean up. I keep saying that's going to be the, the part that other people are going to level up your game. Okay, great. You can block and roll. Now, what do you do with that to clean up that pile? And that was weighted really, really heavy. Jake Gore, Sammy Soto, Jeremiah Ellis, Caden Allen, Alex Hicks, Ryan Trader, Braden Wilson, Jackson Gore, Colby Shear, all these names I'm mentioning have that style of game, and all of the captains were targeting that type of player. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We we did see that theme. Of course, we already knew the theme of the youth was going to play a big role uh, since they couldn't play uh, last season. Um, so we definitely saw that play out in the draft. Um, anything that stuck out with you, like in that sort of two to four round, Trey? Yeah, I was really looking for like steals, like people that came in and, and, and a pick that, you know, more the more I look at it's like they, they, that person shouldn't have gone that low. I mean, to be honest with you, a uh, second round, you know, Steve Schrader, I thought, you know, is a is a potential player that could be. I mean, we saw him in, in some instances in bracket semifinals in the pro division, right? And in teams, remember him and Florentino Mendoza essentially did not lose a game essentially all year, especially on the broadcast court. They were so good. So Steve Schrader is known for being really, really good on the team side of things. I thought he was a he was a good pickup. We talked about Juwan Smith. If he can play up to his ability that he showcased in the, you know, in the rookie showcase, if we look at it, if we look at those rookie showcase numbers again, if you look at number one, number two, number three, number four, and number five, all of one through five except for Juwan Smith went in the first round of the draft. Where did Juwan Smith go? He goes all the way in the third round, right? So we're talking about from a skills perspective, Juwan is somebody that has got that level of talent. And if he can translate it over into finishing well, then, you know, it, it could be a really big uh, steal in that third round by them. Same thing with Ernest Cisneros. I mean, Ernest is someone that um, he had a really strong performance in that rookie showcase. He's all the way down into round four. I had Bella Soprenant in my first round. Now, I understand the concerns about her ability to commit to some of all of the events. If that's not going to be the case, then it, you don't want her to be a first round pick. But if she can at least show up to these events, she was picked up in round number five. I mean, we're talking yeah. about a fifth round pick for someone Steel. who one of the best female players in the world and somebody that when she played with Hunter Thorne, we're talking about a top 30 team. I mean, we're talking a really high level player all the way down there. Um, you know, a, a lot of different, a lot of different angles that we went here, especially down towards the end, there were, were some really good teams. I mean, ultimately, um, we'll maybe we'll go through some of our top teams in a second, but yeah, there's, there's a couple, there's a couple here and there where I thought people were able to dip down and get some good value. How about for you, Anthony, any, uh, standouts there? Yeah. The second round for me, I think was if you weren't picking up uh, a pro that has a bunch of experience, I think what we were seeing was value 
in pro qualifiers. These guys that came through the pro qualifier went through the gauntlet. You know, a Pat Pat Sam, not only did he go through the pro qualifier, but he has said, hey, let's stop looking at numbers because I know players have numbers in front of them, PPRs, DPRs. Look at what I've done in brackets. This is a guy that has won advanced uh, world's bracket. So showing that he can go out and win, getting through the pro quali- qualifier, as well as Angel uh, Camarena, a guy who went through the pro qualifier as well. Um, and then Hunter Thorson also going in that second round. And then the next step down from there, and I don't think it's too far behind because you guys got, you got these guys out there grinding are the ones qualifying through the opens. Uh, a Jeremy Fincham, not only did he qualify through the open, but he's demonstrated capability to win in opens, you know, getting getting really deep with a Ryan Smith one time. Uh, and then you also got Trip Baker and Tommy Slyker out there who got through in opens. And also uh, Slyker, a guy why he was up on my list, was a guy that demonstrated the ability to win at Worlds, went super deep, made it to a bracket championship match uh, and coming through a tough conference like, like uh, the Carolinas. So I think that that's where the value was kind of in the second round was those type of guys, pro qualifiers and open and open qualifiers. Absolutely. All right, Trey, what were some of your favorite teams was as they all came together? Yeah. I mean, there's the first one that I was looking at that, that kind of caught my eye was, you know, the Georgia sliders starting to put together a little bit of a squad here. They, I saw a little bit of that. And part of it was not even because of who they drafted, but who they traded for. I mean, we get out of draft night and the Georgia sliders added Ryan Wiedenfeld and Josh Holland. Now, both of those players, their value is a lot lower because of their last seasons weren't great, but when you talk about them coming into this season, Josh Holland's already back to winning regionals, which is something he couldn't do in at uh, the beginning of 2023. And Ryan Wiedenfeld's already winning open brackets, right? So for them to come out of draft night, I don't even care who they drafted. They were able to snag Ryan Wiedenfeld and Josh Holland. I think that's a, that's a big, big win for them. Um, the Florida freeze guys are nasty. I Dude, mean, that team is stacked. <laughs> Alex Rawls, so Cheyenne Bubenheim, they pick up Matt Sorrells. They have Chris Kingsbury, Jer- Jeremy Frazier, Blaine Rozier, and then they trade for Allen Rawls. I mean, are you kidding me? We just what? got the open champion. Then I almost said it in the last segment. Guys, they got – let me see exactly where, where he went. They got Blake Karnick in the halfway through the third round. This is a guy that on the shootout series was making it all the way to semifinals. A guy with Steve Schrader was making it to pro doubles bracket semifinals. I mean, he and you let the Florida freeze go get him. Not to mention not to mention they add some experience with Labrador and Sutton late. They get a high upside rookie, PJ Not. I mean, even Curtis Haddix and Tyrell Maxey made a deep run in, in open number one this weekend. And Curtis Haddix went at the very end of the draft. Like this Florida Breeze team is absolutely disgusting. Yep. Um, I really like the Cali Slingers. Again, they get out of draft day with Kyle Malone and Philip Lopez. What is going on? Why are you letting Tony Smith add Kyle Malone and Philip Lopez? The one draft with the Woodchucks, I love my Woodchucks. I really actually like their draft. I I hated this trade, okay? When you talk about Kyle Malone, they trade away Kyle Malone, and in response, they get Alec Ryan and a better pick, a little bit better of a pick. 
And I think the logic was because Kyle didn't perform as well in the team's event. But Alec Ryan played with Tony Smith, and weren't we joking all of last year that they, like, were 0-7 to start the year? (laughs) Like, how does that – If okay, fine. If Malone's not good at teams, fine. But then pick up somebody that is good at teams. You get Alec Ryan. That doesn't make any sense to me. So um, the Cali Slingers, I love it. Ricky Gonzalez, they got late. Um, You know, they added uh, Emily Downer. Maybe a little bit of a risk on Logan Hall. I could have gone with something a little bit more safe in that first round, but it could be a high upside pick that I like. I don't like the Timber trading away Josh Holland. I thought they gave that away too quickly. Um, The high rollers really leaning on experience. I think that's going to be interesting. Uh, The ringers, really solid draft. Nothing overly stood out to me, but overall – I was, I was pretty happy with it, and I also think the Missouri Mays are going to be pretty tough to beat as well with some of the picks that they got. Alex Hicks, Vincent Frisch, and Jawan Smith, right? Those, to me, could all have been near first-round picks. They were able to get them all in the draft, so very, very impressive to see them. Anthony, any last-minute thoughts about how the teams came together for you? Yeah, I think you covered that really well. The the one thing I just wanted to mention was the the Kyle Malone trade was pretty confusing to me as well, right? We're talking about a guy that is one of the best in the league. I couldn't make sense of that. So I kind of theorized last night on ACL Live that, you know, maybe he's just hasn't bought into the team's approach as much. And I think that's going to be important to a lot of the captains, um, you know, looking for how personalities fits, who's coming and giving their all, and actually talking to Kyle last night and you saw uh, what he dropped on his social media. Not the case. I mean, this guy um, is excited to be a part of the Cali Slingers. He's excited to contribute to the team. So I was off on that one. But I thought it might be fun to just kind of talk about some overall numbers because I kind of looked at the teams as collective sums. Um, like if we were to look at age, uh, the Colonels, the oldest team at 39, 39 years old on average, who's the youngest team? The cutters at 27. So you're talking about almost 40 versus mid 20s in average age. So that typically tells you what style of game you're going to get. So, you know, if those teams go together, you'll probably see two two unique uh, game plans come together. I thought the burn just looking at PPR and DPR, number one in DPR collectively, number two in PPR collectively. We know that this doesn't mean anything, but when you typically bring those two stats together, and your top two in both categories, it kind of indicates the burn might be another good team, have another good season in 2024. Um, let's look at rookies. Some teams took zero rookies. Um, let's see if I kind of go through here real quick. We had a team, uh, the sliders have no rookies on their team, whereas the cutters have five rookies. And if you look at the five rookies that they took, and I took their average scores in the showcase. They were ranked second against all the other teams in their rookies' average score. So that tells me they pulled uh, collectively a lot of good rookies um, out of the field there. Uh, The Woodchucks valued the pro qualifier. They pulled four players who qualified through the pro qualifier where a lot of teams took zero or one. Um, So just kind of wanted to to just kind of throw some numbers out and summarize that a little bit that way. Male versus female. Uh, zero females for the Woodchucks where you see like the Marauders taking four, they have four females on their team. So you can see, you know, uh, that dynamic playing in as well. And we saw in the draft just overall last year and this year, 
I feel like the females, uh, you know, kind of are undervalued. And if you see some of the players going ahead of like number one picks, Rosie Streaker or high picks like Sarah Cassidy, it could be argued that they are actually uh, better players than some of those going ahead and should be pulled up higher. Yeah, and the one thing I just want to wrap up with is obviously the teams do get to add a couple elite players from their local area, one being under 18. I wonder how this changes any of our thoughts or feelings about the teams. Um, so definitely curious about that. But it is time for hot takes. Trey, you got one for us? I, I guess it's not that hot based on what I'm seeing, but um, I'll go I'll go all the way to the end of the season. Your team's world champions, the Florida Freeze. You already called one. Well, who did you call before? <laughs> you remember? I called the wood. I called the woodchucks because I was you buying did. into them. Woodchucks okay. are not winning. Okay. Okay. So freeze. All right. Go ahead, Anthony. All right. Um, I'm going to make a hot take off of a Blaine Rozier, who I think is set to break out this season. And open number one kind of foreshadowed what I think he's going to do. Um, and and breaking into to top twenty in the league is insane. I'm going to say he actually finishes. 15 or better that is that's Yay. crazy hot yeah that's crazy hot that's good i mean mine's not as hot i think you're gonna see a colby shearer trade to the michigan marauders at some point <laughs> i think oh yeah let that go i know how much he loves that kid so uh, i think that you're gonna see a trade at some point that's all we got time for you guys thanks so much for joining us we'll see you all next time